Good boys. Looking good. Keep it red. Yes, that's it. Bright. Make it bright. Them buggers don't care much for squids, so hopefully if we can make it big enough, it'll scare them. Rocky, my boy, they've got eight tentacles like you painted, but they've also got them two big ones with the giant pods on the ends. Don't forget about them. Aye, that's a boy. Up to it then. Boats in the water at sunup, lads, so let's not dawdle. Keep at it until it's done or till it's dark. The following morning, the fairy night spear slipped into the Yandabakari River waters, ready for its latest voyage from Melfish to Biston, carrying a few passengers and the usual milled grain. George, the ship's captain, stood at the helm of the ferry, smiling to himself as the sun broke on the horizon in front of him. It had been smooth sailing so far, and he was pleased. The last few crossings on the night spear had been interrupted by new local dwellers of the deep. George wasn't sure how large the school of them was, but they were attacking any ships that didn't fight back and stealing the cargo and a couple of crew members, presumably all for food. George himself had almost been taken in the last crossing, hence his desire to get a large, bright red squid painted on the bottom of his boat as soon as possible. Once upon a time, he had heard in a tavern in Riddleport that it might scare off these pests, and so far, it had worked. George was so pleased with himself, he began to hum his favorite tune, and just as he hit the initial swell, thunk! The sound of something ricocheting off his hull was unmistakable to the aging captain. Instead of finishing the verse, he uttered his favorite curse, and paused to wait as silently as he could. The peaceful sounds of the river were all that he could hear. George was just about to admit to himself that he was being paranoid when thunk, thunk, thunk! The sound of many objects bouncing off the bottom of his hull resonated up onto the deck. Lads! George called at the top of his lungs. We may have made a grave mistake. To your spears and hold on tight. Hey there, creatures. James coming at you from the future, the editing den here. So this episode was a little bit of a unique one. I had a fever through the roof and I was very, very sick throughout the whole recording of it, which is uh, not ideal because I forgot to do something very, very important. And that was to press record on OBS. So I've done the best I can to recreate uh, our original recording. That being said, it doesn't have Freeman and I's live video, so there will be stock images there, but the rest of the images all the way through will be the same as they would have been in the original recording, including the addition of uh, a creature midway through. So thank you uh, again for bearing with us, and we hope this never happens again. But on to the episode. Hey there, creatures, and welcome to Encounter This, a podcast exploration of the creatures from Pathfinder 2nd Edition and the lore that surrounds them.
Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Encounter This Number 2 after a bit of a hiatus after the holiday season. And myself, Freeman Grendel Eisten, is going to join James the Scar Kid to explore a curious little creature called the Grindy Grindylo? Grindylow? Grindylo. I'm going with Grindylo. It sounds better. Um How you feeling, James? <laughs> <laughs> i'm good i'm here you're I'm, here <laughs> yeah it's been a rough season good. it's been a rough season um it has been <laughs> winter is continuing to rear its ugly head uh sweeping sicknesses across staff of all kinds it's been rough it's been a rough go <laughs> but we're here yeah, so <laughs> unfortunately that means a little bit of a smaller episode for the listeners today or what my body's hoping is a little bit of a small yeah. episode, but we we are not compromising on the content. <laughs> so now sometimes we sometimes we go out of our way to choose one that's going to be a little bit shorter, just just to you know it's still interesting stuff. We don't skimp, but well, sometimes we need a, a quick one <laughs> in order to fill the gaps uh, created by who knows what. But um, yeah. yeah, the old Grindylo. Uh, I, I I don't know much about this creature off the top of my head. I remember one particular instance of them. I believe in a glass cannon network show from a while back and but otherwise i'm a little bit in the dark in my head i think i have an image in my head of what they look like but uh for those of you who want to follow along hit up the old bestiary number two page 128 and take it away james tell tell me about this this weird little thing sure um this is i i picked this character because i they're this creature because I thought it was going to be something totally different than what it actually is. I thought okay. this was going to be like way more related to the Grendel from Beowulf, which I will, one of us will cover eventually. Sure. But it turns out they're just fucking aquatic goblins. <laughs> That's the image I had in my head. Like a goblin with octopus tentacles. <laughs> That's who I remember. That's, that's exactly it. They're cool. a blue goblin with op- octopus tentacles in the bottom. That's, that's it. I love it. It looks that's terrifying. It. Yeah, I really love the Pathfinder goblins and how vicious they look. Like this mm-hmm. thing's got like two rows of teeth. Like it's yeah. it's really really oh, hardcore. Yeah, it does, eh? Yeah, it's uh, it doesn't look very friendly. <laughs> no, and they're they're not. Um, this didn't get the kind of gentle refresh that goblins got, where they're kind of like these cute dorky little creatures. This is just mean. I mean, yeah, <laughs> if you can't tell by the goat. <laughs> the little goatee, the goatee. ponytail. Yeah, the little tiny goatee's hilarious. Yeah. What a weird little touch. Yeah. Um, there's a little ponytail on the back, too. Like yeah, there's a couple of them. The there's back. one on each yeah. side. It's got the pigtails going. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Exactly the sort of creature I expect, I would expect to uh, to see hanging out a sea hag's lair or something. Yeah, and they're very closely related. So a lot of this is actually going to be quite uh, a little bit of a refresher on the sea mm-hmm. hags, actually, which is... Okay. Um, Episode seven. Oh <laughs> my god, that's so long ago! <laughs> Holy crap, it's a hundred and ten episodes ago. That's... February still feels like it wasn't that long ago to me. I don't know. I'm probably gonna if, put. So it much feels like last it, month. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. doesn't feel like. Yeah, that's wild. Episode seven. Uh, I guess you never forget your first big sweet. Yeah, I guess so. Wild. Yeah. So they are extremely territorial. Um, as you can probably tell by its posture in the the official two e art, mm-hmm. they are known to be sensible. So there is the possibility of negotiation if you want to go down that route, but okay. it's not likely. Okay. 
So they're not like and suicidal as... or anything. They'll, 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 they'll maybe talk or run at the very least. Yeah, yeah. Really, they really think like like um. They really remind me of the Oney Goblins, like just okay, Oney Goblins, but underwater. Sure. <laughs> so much like those goblins, they rarely build structures, but it isn't unheard of. It does happen. And they tend to make their homes in shallow water, so lakes, rivers, coastal reefs, etc. Mm-hmm. Primarily, if possible, they tend to make their lairs in shelters of sargasso. So this is what sargasso is. This is a photo from underwater, and this is just a oh. mass of floating vegetation made primarily oh. from the seaweed sargasso. Okay, cool. Oh, yeah, it's good a- you said that from underwater, because it doesn't look like it's going to be at all. It looks like it's floating, but... Yeah, that's, but that's if you neat. look at the like, very yeah. top of the image, you can see some water distortion in yeah. the, the orange. Like this is taken cool. from a distance. So, so like really a it's like a seaweed uh, beaver dam float flotilla. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's mobile. So this just yeah. floats through the ocean. These are like like cool. in our world, they're like floating ecosystems. There's um oh neat in coral reefs in Blue Planet, I think by the BBC, they do like a really deep dive on the ecology of a sargassum. Mm-hmm. And it's really neat. Really cool. I like that. Yeah. But they can also rely reside in abandoned ships, like really anywhere there's shelter to be found, any kind of place you would usually find like a cephalopod. Like it needs to be a, a, a confined space that has its own general ecosystem where they can hunt, where they can live. Mm-hmm. They have been known to gather into schools. Uh, the most we have on record, according to legend, is about a few hundred. So a few hundred of these things just whipping around your coral reef sounds like hell on earth. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but smaller schools, you know, like 20 and under, tend to be allied under a strong aquatic creature, specifically uh, listed by Paizo as sea hags. All right. There we go. Called it. Knights. Yeah, exactly. Uh that being said, if a sea hag has this school of like 20 of them, if a major obstacle occurs, like a, like they go to fight the party and just get decimated, they will scatter and form their own former uh, smaller schools. They just, okay. There's no loyalty to these creatures whatsoever. Sure. Okay. And in the same vein, if fruitful, they'll infest a hunting ground for generations, but they, again, are very easily driven away by predators. All right. Cowards at heart, basically. Yeah. Yeah, and they're skilled scavengers, and they'll pretty much eat anything they can catch, and, you know, an old boot to a PC. Yeah, <laughs> anywhere from an old boot to a PC. <laughs> yeah. You, you can quote him on that. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so one of the things that really drew me to these creatures is this little, the little sidebar tidbit lore, mm-hmm. and it's all about squids, and they hate squids they loathe them or anything that even looks like a squid yeah (laughs) okay yeah they hate them so much that some sailors will paint giant squids on the bottom of their hull to ward off (laughs) grindylos that's amazing (laughs) yeah it can unfortunately often have the uh other effects where a school of grindylos thinks they're big enough to take the octopus so they'll attack the boat (laughs) Always the opposite. Or the squid, sorry. I love it. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. But this specific hatred does not extend to other tentacled creatures or cephalopods. 
in their community, octopodes are considered the epitome of grace and power. And that is in quotes from Paizo from the best year too. Like (laughs) they love octopodes, but they're not, they don't fuck with squids. Okay. Weird. Just a natural inclination towards hating the old squiddy pies. Sure thing. Pretty much. And the sidebar is titled giant Grindy loaves. So most are small. But like a lot of aquatic creatures, they can keep growing throughout their lives. They can be large or larger, even to the point where Grindylones can gain the giant trait if they're like in the open ocean and have good hunting grounds. Oh, wow. They gain the giant yeah. trait. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I th- There's not like stats for it, but if you just mm-hmm. wanted to make a larger size Grindylow, sure. just give it the giant trait and I'm sure you okay. just give it the uh, the expert. That would be kind of terrifying. This thing just yeah. ten feet tall shooting at you. Yeah, no, no thanks, <laughs> no yeah. thanks at all. <laughs> yeah, they did exist in one e, but there is no canonical image. They okay. were one half CR, and they are from the Bestiary Two again, page one forty. Oh, they didn't have an image and in the Bestiary. Interesting. No, yeah, right. they have a large head and numerous teeth, and you can see. It Again, in the 2E art, there's that double row of very shark-like teeth. Yeah. And they're described as having a goblin torso and a greasy octopus below. <laughs> a greasy octopus. <laughs> yeah. How very specific. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I do wonder if... because uh, because it's, uh, it's, Yeah, I guess they don't always include an image in the bestiaries. Um, not for everything. but And, and harder to find are the ones that... Uh, images that are in the adventure paths because they're not usually available uh, to the public under the licensing and stuff but i do wonder if there is I, an image uh from what's what was the uh adventure path that we know from from um uh glass ruins cannon of ruins of aslan yeah i wonder because uh, they are in that i wonder if there's an image in, in that ap somewhere they're probably there might very well i tried be. to look at the pawn collection but mm-hmm. we didn't have a copy of it floating oh, around okay. so that's always my backup is to go to the Adventure Path Pawn Collections because we yeah. normally have a digital copy of it and I couldn't find it. So I don't know if they just didn't make them for Ruins of Avalanche or we just don't have one in our library. Okay. Or yeah, I didn't know enough. where it was in our library. One of the two. I know we've got the, the PDFs for the adventure itself, um, but the Pawn Collection, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, uh, in any case, yeah. Yeah, we can move on to mythology and folklore because I forgot to hit the... Uh, the Pathfinder button when we first started, like I always do. <laughs> we're real good at this. <laughs> our la- we were so bad our last episode. I just had to find where things started, like the old yeah. days. <laughs> uh, oh, you know what? I did. I pulled up the adventure path. We don't have to show. I don't even know if we can show it, but um, I'll show it to you anyway. There is a, a named uh, Grindy Low in there called Brine Tooth. There's the image. It oh, looks cool. a lot more shark-like in its face. <laughs> yeah. It's really cool. <laughs> Let me see what I can do about getting that into yeah. Book our one for anyone who might have the, um, have the adventure path for that. Um, it's a, it is a female giant Grindylow, actually. Fighter. Uh, how cool is that? And it's a medium size. Um, that's really oh, neat. Right on. Hmm. It looks awesome. Um, let's just... Okay, here we go. There you is that Grindy Low. There you go. <laughs> nice. Neat. How cool is that thing? This one's way more shark-like. It way more shark-like. Yeah, big time. Very much less goblin-esque 
Actually, are you familiar with the goblin shark? Uh, oh, yeah, vaguely, actually, I suppose. It kind of looks like that. I yeah. don't want to put the goblin shark on air because it's one of the most horrifying creatures that has oh, ever existed. This, is, this has definitely come up on, on this show, I think. It has <laughs> to have. I hate these things. They're horrifying. <laughs> but it kind of looks like a goblin shark a little. Um, well, Google it. Oh, yeah. Most oh, yeah. Are the stuff <laughs> Things horrifying. <laughs> yeah. It's so good. Uh, All right. All right. So I'm not going to put the. Put the <laughs> yeah. There's not a lot here. Um, they are known as Grindylows or Grundylows, and they come from Yorkshire and Lancashire counties. I really hope I got that right. <laughs> and the, the name is only thought to be connected to Grendel of Beowulf. There is no stock connection. Okay. In lore, these aren't particularly popular. I expected to find a lot more examples of them, but it's really just from the two cultures. Okay. So they are small humanoids, scaly skin, usually with a greenish complexion, sharp claws and teeth, and long, thin arms with extended fingers. They live in shallow waters waiting for children. And tell me if this is familiar. Classic. They grab their victims and pull them under with their powerful grip. Oh, <laughs> it's so familiar. I feel like we've covered it several times. <laughs> yep. And the lore has been used to frighten children away from places where they could fall in and drown. Because, of, of course. course, it's better to lie to your children than explain to them the truth. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> and then in a lot of this mythology, they're mentioned in the same breath as, as familiar names to us. Nellie Longarms, Peg Powler, Jenny Greenteeth, mm -hmm. the, the water hags that we're familiar with. Every entry I've found that mentions the Grindylow, Wikipedia, a couple of uh, independent websites, they all include these three water hags. Okay. So yep. the, the lore is naturally entwined from that English culture, which is pretty great. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Uh, one monster gets another monster effectively over time when you're telling those tales, right? And uh, sometimes yeah. they end up separate from each other, but they're you know there's always some sort of close relation along the way. Exactly the same kind of thing we talked about in the troll suite. Like it just things just yeah. mish and meld together, and then we as TTRPGs pull them apart and and focus on the the individual yeah. features that make them unique right. to create yeah. these unique kind creatures. of reinvent them and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's it. That is the uh, that is the cultural lore. That's that's all. That's all we get. <laughs> all right. Fair enough. But there is they do make a couple of appearances in pop culture, begrudgingly. <laughs> um, this, as far as I can tell, is a still from a Harry Potter. Yeah. Movie. It it's it. I could not figure like it's. It was yeah. not easy for me to find where sure this image came it's from. Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. I that I feels forgot right. About, I forgot about this, but yeah, that I, this does ring a bell. Um, yeah, because they have doing a, the egg a challenge right at the very there's beginning. Like a, there's a whole challenge thing happening in that story at that point uh, amongst these different schools of wizardry, and and um, and one of them is an underwater challenge, and and they ended up being a, a, attacked by these by these creatures. Um, I, I've completely yeah. forgot that that was a thing, but yeah, that that rings a bell. Yeah, so it was definitely part of the film. the The problem is I can't. There's there's a lot of um, the same two or three pictures of fan art, so mm -hmm. narrowing down where they actually okay. come from. And I wasn't gonna rewatch Goblet of Fire to figure that shit out. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> um. Uh, but so this could be fan art, but I'm pretty sure it's no, from pretty sure Harry Potter. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm basing that 
almost 100% on the WV watermark in the bottom yeah. left corner. Yeah, so. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, but you are correct. They, they are from Harry Potter, and Professor Lupin specifically taught about them. Apparently, mm. they make a couple of appearances in the books. Sure. I don't know. Okay. Yeah, I mean, Harry Potter, Harry Potter is a series that does a, that just repeated a lot of what D&D and Pathfinder and all these games have done is is re- rework many, many myths and tales into a sort of new narrative, what have you. So it, it hasn't done anything like, you know, it's done its own reinterpretations on, on many, many things and um, not an original concept per se, but uh, you know, t- tries its best to do original takes. For yeah, better or for yeah. Worse. And I mean, yeah. <laughs> definitely that last bit um i'm i'm actually tempted to stop mentioning harry potter because a lot of it seems to be lifted from some of the early monster manuals and jk rowling is objectively a monster so i'm not i don't love giving her airtime but i also understand that we need to separate the art from the artist even if yeah that's just it right yeah it's uh yeah it's it's a massive cultural impact and you know as much as as much as uh dnd and what and ttrpgs have like come out of a nerdy obscurity over the decades um, and it is something a little more mainstream you know there are other avenues of showing these um, different bits of, of folklore and mythology and Harry Potter just happens to be one of the largest out there um, and uh, yeah you know and it's evergreen at this point like it's yeah. going to be relevant to our generation forever so that's basically it yeah so but on to an artist we don't need to separate from their content. This is a novel called The Scar by China Mieville. So this book specifically features them as a hostile race, possibly the main antagonist. I haven't read this one. Okay. And I really hope I pronounced that properly. But yes. China Mieville is um renowned fucking nerd. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> huge D&D player and even helped write Pathfinder Chronicles Guide to the River Kingdom, which we'll have linked in our blog. Okay. Um, uh, which is as I'm sure some of our our listeners know, one of the best sources of Galarian lore that exists. Oh yeah, no kidding. And that's pretty much it for pop culture too. Like there's, they're, they're just not a common creature as far as I could tell. I'm sure there's more instances of them appearing and probably even some more relevant than the, the, the two pages they got in Harry Potter or whatever and mm-hmm. and you know the relatively obscure China Mieville. I'm not saying he's particularly obscure, but mm-hmm. you, you really have to fall in the right circles to know Mieville, but Sure, yeah. I've never heard of him, author. so I have no idea. Yeah. Um, you would know his work for sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He's uh, I mean he even re- helped write a bunch of comic books in the late nineties. Cool. Um really, really impactful on on the nerd culture while being a cool guy. Mm. So, but that's that. Yeah, that's that's all we have. Um, as far as comparison goes, it's pretty straightforward. The only real difference is blue skin on the Grindylows in Pathfinder versus green skin in mythology. Okay, you know, in in Pathfinder they tend to be more goblin esque, whereas in uh, real world lore they tend to lean more towards the sea hag. Mm-hmm. But other than that, from what little information we have, they've got those those powerful arms. They like to eat people. And they are scary. Smart enough to run away and or use a weapon. Yep. Fine by me. Let's get into mechanics yeah. then. Yeah, I mean, we we may have to retcon calling them intelligent when we hit mechanics, but here we go. <laughs> I didn't say intelligent. I said smart enough. <laughs> I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah you're, you are correct. 
they're smart enough. Don't misquote me. Okay. And uh, as always, we'll have the archives of Nethys linked over on our blog post, so you can you can check that out if you want to follow along for this part. Cool. So I'd make you guess their level, but it's it's zero. <laughs> they're a CR zero, or <laughs> okay. CL zero, or whatever we're calling it these days. Yeah. Just level. I just go with level uh, now. Yeah, that's yeah. kind of me too. Yeah. Um, uh, so they've got a 15 AC and 14 HP, and they do start small. But again, we've talked that they can get to medium, even if they have the giant trait yeah. for money at least. <laughs> uh, so I skipped alignment because basically. it's they no longer. You know, yeah. <laughs> they're just taking on a whole bunch of damage and, and dying and dying in waves. <laughs> Yeah, and that's we'll get into it in in homebrew, but that's how I would run them is exactly that way, just as cannon fodder. Uh, they are small. They are carrying the aberration and amphibious trait. Because of that aberration, the recall knowledge is occultism, mm-hmm. and that's uh, fourteen unspecified is twelve, specified is nine. I don't. I guess. Any seafaring lore, I'd probably give them the specified lore because these are these are not uncommon creatures. Yeah, I mean, it's like if you had like sailing lore, I might call that unspecified. If you had like sea creature lore, I might I would call that specified or something like that. But I kind of kind of yeah, it's always open to interpretation, right? Um, but yeah. yeah, I mean, the only it's it's challenge level is why I would give it specified lore. Sure. It's a level zero creature. Yeah, like this creature enough, means yeah. nothing. Yeah. Uh, they've got a five perception because they're they're a baller. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> their land speed is ten feet, which is pretty great, and their swim speed is twenty five, which is also pretty great. Mm-hmm. Um, for those of you who are unaware, octopi can walk across land. That's not they yeah. they just do that sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're not like fast, but they're not a snail either. <laughs> so it's yeah, it makes sense. Uh, that's pretty cool. I'm uh, immediately though. It's just like okay, ten feet on land. That's you know when you're thinking of a combat, it's at a tremendous disadvantage for sure. Ten feet on land is brutal when it comes to comes to rounds in combat. However, you're likely to fight this thing in water, which is always, especially at a low level, is pretty much always putting the pieces at a disadvantage. <laughs> so that's the that's the real kicker, right? Like these things are more dangerous in water, and understandably so. But like at a yeah. low level for a PC, like you're very unlikely to have too many water benefiting abilities <laughs> at, the, at the end of the day. And when we get into some of their abilities, I believe these things get real dangerous oh, real yeah. fast. <laughs> yeah, level, like level if you are a level crazy. one or level level <laughs> yeah. two or level three party <clears throat> fighting these things in the water, yeah. you might just be better retreating. <laughs> Uh, languages they just speak Aquan, so you are not communicating with these things at that level for the probably, most part. Yeah, probably not. Maybe, maybe, maybe the wizard could <laughs> if they chose right. Possibly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and they have dark vision, okay. which again makes sense to me because they live in the water and the mm-hmm. water is almost always dark. So, yeah. Ability scores are nothing. They cap out at three. Um, for dex and, and wisdom, but they've got a negative one to intelligence, and their strength is also only one. Okay. They uh, do have a couple of complementary skills with athletics, stealth, and survival. Yeah, that adds up. Just living in the yeah. wild, kind of, uh, kind of stuff. Yeah. Yep. 
They've got a six fortitude save, seven reflex, and five will. Yep. And if you are lucky and your GM is kind, you will be able to find a spear on them afterwards. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would assume it's a rather crude spear, but um, but there it is. Yeah, I'm really surprised Paizo didn't put it in air quotes. Or, yeah, I'm, I guess it would just be regular quotes if it's on paper. Yeah. Holy shit, that's a good point. <laughs> Self burn. Uh, the uh, I, I I can't recall, but I think Tui might have done away with the uh, the short spear um, kind of idea uh, for a weapon. Uh, I could be. I could be wrong uh, with it's that. not. It's just called a spear, but there's also a dueling spear, and then there's a two handed spear. Yeah, and then spear is I, always my go to weapon. <laughs> sure. Yeah, it, it feels more appropriate since there is no short spear that I'm aware of. Feel it would almost feel more appropriate for it to be a javelin as opposed to a spear, um, given it's a small creature. So it's a, maybe it's a spear for it, but it's a javelin for you. Yeah, but it's just that's just pedantic at the end of the day, I guess. Yeah, I don't think javelin has a melee attack though. I think it's ranged only. Is that right? No, anything that's a, a ranged thrown weapon can can ha- can be used melee. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, but not not the other way around. I mean, you can throw a great sword, but you're gonna take a. A penalty to that and it's not going to be that yeah. effective and now you've thrown away your greatsword for no reason improvised so, damage yeah. Yeah. it's kind of stupid yeah oh yeah yeah I, I don't know I mean maybe the range is different or something I mean it doesn't look different mm-hmm. yeah the range is different so maybe that's why um, it it also might have something to do with the the physical resistance of water and the way a spearhead would cut through that because a javelin's just a straight line um, yeah and you, i i i mean i never see anybody underwater with a javelin uh yeah I, I, i'm not thinking about a throwing javelin you know i'm not thinking about this creature throwing it at all i'm just oh, thinking about okay. length and crudeness of its build right more than anything you know um so like i said spear for it javelin for you at best because it's just not it's probably right. not designed <laughs> to withhold a, a hefty combat on land you know like by any means it's just meant to be straightforward to thrusting in the water right uh well it's not it has a range of attack so oh well okay well i'll just shut my mouth then <laughs> yeah i mean i i don't know i don't know how ranges of attacks work underwater in 2e but uh and i, I didn't bother to research it but let's start with the passives because i like getting these out of the way cool uh it's only passive is called clinging suckers mm-hmm. i like so it. so when it when grabbing a creature larger than itself it just attaches the target is grabbed but not immobilized but if the target moves, the Grindylow moves with it. And if the target is medium or smaller, it gets a minus five to speed. And the Grindylow is flat-footed while it's attached to that creature. Okay. <laughs> or off-guard. <laughs> off-guard, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. That's fun. That's a fun little thing. You know, it's just like... Because when you're grabbed, you're flat-footed. So this thing's making itself flat-footed at the same time. But it's not stopping you from moving. You're moving around, and yeah, and you're both just like <laughs> awkwardly flat-footed and slowed down. Um, it paints a nice little picture. Yeah, I, I really, really like that one. I think it's real fun. Hmm. They have three melee attacks. The first is a bite, uh, seven two minus three, one d four plus one piercing finesse. Uh, finesse bite. The okay, next yeah. one 
is a tentacle, a seven, three, minus one, one D four plus one bludgeoning finesse, agile trip. And this one has grabbed. So if you get hit with the tentacle done. Yeah. You are locked on. Yeah. And then they've got the spear, which is five, zero, negative five for that third attack. And then one D six plus one piercing. Mm-hmm. And they've got a ranged attack, which is seven to minus three, 20 feet thrown, 1d6 plus one piercing. Right. So, nothing amazing. I mean, they are, I, I think they would just be annoying more than anything, but I think it would be a very fun thematic combat. Yeah. But they do have one last ability, and it is that coward ability, their, their escape ability. It is a two action called Jet. And they just move 60 feet in a straight line through the water and do not trigger reactions. Okay, cool. I dig that. Very simple, but uh, very thematic. Yeah, it's also very cephalopod. So like when when uh, octopi, octopod, octopodes, octopuses, when they smash all their tentacles together, they just explode in in the opposite direction, so... This is this is a real thing that those creatures can do, and I, I think this is a really cool way of making it uh, work in Pathfinder. Sixty feet isn't too much; it's mm-hmm. enough. It's more than their speed to make it valuable. Yeah, and not triggering reactions is pretty fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but sixty feet is a lot when it comes to when it comes to people who have to make athletics checks to swim at all. And then if you oh, fail yeah. that, you don't make any progress. If you critically fail it, you're sinking, you know, and and then you have to like basically critically succeed to do like 10 feet worth or something like that. You're not catching this thing if it's getting away. For sure. Um, yeah. I, I just mean it wasn't too much in the way that it's it's double its, so it's 25 feet per action. So it'd be 50 mm-hmm. feet. So it's only an extra 10 feet that this thing's getting. Right. But yeah. it is just out of dodge all of a sudden. Yeah, it's a quick that's, zip. Yeah. That's, <laughs> yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. I just quickly checked uh, underwater combat to or aquatic combat. Um, and um, it basically says that range attacks that do slashing or, or, or bludgeoning automatically miss. Anything that's piercing uh, works normally, but has its uh, ranged halved. Um, it doesn't say anything about thrown in particular. There's a part of me that thinks that thrown just doesn't work the same as, say, loosing a bow underwater. Um, I think the string of a bow is going to pass through the water a bit, bit uh, faster than, say, someone's you know, uh, arm muscles, <laughs> but, um, maybe it's, yeah, I probably Paizo just wanted to avoid being too specific about it at all. Um, but yeah, that, that, that spear with the throne trait, it's 20 feet, but that keep in mind that that is 20 feet outside of water. They're not specifying in the water. So it actually would only be about 10 feet underwater, which is not never a great range for a thrown weapon at the end of the day. No, it's, it's not, lot, but it's a lot um... of time. It's easier. It's easier to just step in and, and strike, uh, cause you get, higher chance to hit and more damage. Or yeah, if not I, more damage, I agree with you completely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'd probably run it with the 20 feet range. Uh, because when yeah. I, yeah, I, I just think it would be more interesting and it would give them a little more staying power. Yep. Um, you know, f- 14 HP is one hit from a fighter at third level. Yeah. <laughs> you, know? you know what I would do? I would do... Uh, <laughs> I would almost do uh, a. Uh, I, we're about to get into homebrew, yeah. <laughs> Live stream. <laughs> Good yeah. Call. Good call. I, I can feel it coming. <laughs> um, I almost wouldn't, but uh, I would because uh, they're throwing away the a weapon that's you know they might consider valuable or 
who knows what their intelligence holy or special to them or something um, but throwing it away doesn't make much sense to me for them um uh they almost want to i don't know just like have something between them and their enemy i guess uh but it'd be really cool to see some sort of action that involves them jetting away and launching their spear at the same time uh using that propulsion in opposite directions to sort of you know launch it more precision like so maybe and maybe that and now that i've said that word maybe that's what, what would be cool is like if they if they maybe they spent a third action to jet away but they launch it and they, they get like 1d6 you know precision damage on top of the regular thrown damage or something like that be kind of cool that's awesome yeah I, I love that um i would just give them the throne the 20 feet throne because they have a minus one intelligence and when i picture doing underwater combat i picture three-dimensional underwater combat sure which means as soon as it hits if the PC pulls it out or, you know, whatever, it's just going to start floating to the bottom. Right. So they can just jet down and get it. And you'll get it again. Oh, that's a good call. I didn't think of that. That's a really good call. Um, yeah. I mean, if you're doing two-dimensional underwater combat, then it's... Yeah. Which is generally what you're doing with, with the way maps work. Um, uh, it's tough to navigate. Yeah. It's already tough to navigate, you know, someone flying, let alone going both directions for the underwater. But... Uh, yeah. Yeah, if you're bold enough to go ahead and do it, your whole group get, has your head around it. I think that's a really cool element, definitely, to add to that combat. Because, um, like, and even then, you say the, the PC pulling it out. There's nothing to say that thing sticks in. Uh, never with a thrown weapon is it assumed that something sticks in. You usually assume, like, an arrow has become destroyed, and we love to uh, imagine that you're you're covered in them at the end of a combat if you keep getting hit. But, uh, or they're yeah, all in your all shield. Just all Boromir shit. But generally speaking, you would assume that the thing grazed your target and fell to the ground. But in this case, hit the target and just started sinking, which means it is available for them to catch with a jet away. Um, yeah, that could really... Yeah, especially if it really doesn't cool meet their AC. Yeah. Yeah. I dig that a lot. I've, I've always liked the idea that AC minus, you know, five or whatever actually hits the armor. Mm-hmm. And then just bounces off as opposed to you you deke out of it. Like I always liked having a range in my mind of where that armor starts and where your dexterity ends. Yeah. And I know there's like that's actually listed in Pathfinder. Like you can actually do that math. Mm-hmm. So if you've got a 24 AC and you're wearing a plus four breastplate, 20, anything over 20 hits you. Right. And just bounces off the breastplate and anything under 20, you actually deke mm-hmm. out of the way. But I'm not going to do that math for every PC at every, yeah, every sure. time. No, so I normally not, yeah. just do minus four. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that, That's why I've always been, much to everyone around me's chagrin apparently, uh, a big fan of the stamina system. Because I, I love the stamina system for the sake of half half of what you go through is glancing blows and exhaustion. And like, you know, swatting them away. And it's not necessarily dexterity versus armor versus thick skin. It is... This is me defending myself, and then when my stamina is out, I am my defenses are you know I'm exhausted. My defenses are now no longer um, working, and I'm now getting cut. I'm now being getting stabbed. I'm now getting wounded, and it's dangerous now. Entered the combat for me, and I love that divide. Even if the math doesn't always work out in the best you know kind of fantasy in our minds, I've always yeah. ever since we played Starfinder, I've always enjoyed that system. Uh, there's a there's a danger when you hit HP. Like it it feels scary, and you know it's easy to recover stamina once the combat's done. But combat is exhausting, and I just love that idea. Instead of trying to imagine how high my dex is or my armor is for my AC, which I do appreciate, I do love that kind of uh, uh, thinking through. But I like the stamina system better. It feels a little more grounded to me. 
I hear you. I actually do really like the idea of the stamina system. I just don't like the execution currently. It's not a it's not a perfect execution, yeah. And it's a variant rule yeah. here in 2E, and it's very akin to what um, uh, Starfinder First Edition did. But they did add a few extra feats to complement it. But they but the problem with those is they feel like obligated feats as opposed to, you know. Use the variant rule, get these feats for free, kind of thing, right? They they should have kind of gone that direction instead. Instead, you feel obligated to get these; otherwise, you're going to be at a tremendous disadvantage, kind of thing. So, a reimagining of that yeah. would be amazing. Uh, should they should they bother to do it in the remaster? Of the, but but I don't think they're actually covering much in the way of the variant rules for the remaster. So, I think we're, we're hopefully they stuck. do something with it in Starfinder Two E, and then maybe maybe yeah. I you know maybe that becomes a playable game for me because sure. currently Starfinder One just isn't it for me. Mm, yeah. Um, even without the stamina system, I don't think it would be it for me. But I, I have high hopes for the system. And I think there's a possibility where where I find it. But you know, mm-hmm. um, subscribe to us on uh, Patreon, and maybe maybe we'll do a, uh, a, a Starfinder two. Maybe that have, comes out. Maybe we'll have space Grindy loaves. You never know. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think there were. It felt like there were. There was space everything. It was yeah. ridiculous. They had the yeah, most yeah. ridiculous creatures. And I loved it. I loved how absurd that shit got. Um, but sometimes you're like, really? Uh, I'm not really going to include that one in my game, I don't think. <laughs> but I'm glad you yeah. did. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, as far as changing them, I do like that like like three-action propulsion spear throw idea where you're mm-hmm. using momentum in opposite directions. I think that's really neat. Yeah. But I honestly don't think I would run these as creatures. Like they just scream a minion to me. Yeah. Absolutely. And just just swarm them with a with a sea hag. Yeah, absolutely. Uh you, you find them in small schools, find out they're all, you know, part of a, a collective or a commune, and that commune has been worshipping a sea hag, and that sea hag's been worshipping an Algolfu master, and yeah, you got your whole undead campaign or underwater campaign happening. Undead. Uh, make it an undead Agolthul Master. It can be both. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> the Lich Agolthul Master. Yeah, why not? <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, that, uh, good starting point for for the terrifying some of the more terrifying ideas we've come up with when it comes to water water cam- water based or or coastal based campaigns, such as when we covered the Kraken <laughs> and, the, and yeah. the, that Scion, whatever it was that we covered, and one of the last ones. We oh yeah, that me. Scion was crazy. Yeah, really cool. But yeah, it's a cool creature, although deep, I, simple, deep Scion. I, yeah, I, I'm with you. I agree. It's a minion. It's not. You know, it's cool that you know. Obviously, in the Wani adventure here, we have uh, a um, uh, a special one, a giant one. So by all means, homebrew your one. That's a bit of a leader or a chieftain or, or some such for these schools, and that could be really fun. Um, but by no means a, you know, a BBEG type of creature. No, no. I If I wasn't going to run them as minions for like a sea hag, I would probably run them as like an intermittent encounter. So like mm-hmm. you're on a ferry going somewhere. The ferry gets attacked by Grindy Loves. Just as a way to introduce your players to underwater combat, I think this could be a really interesting way to do that. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, like you said, these are just, these are cannon yeah. fodder. And I, I just I don't see a way currently to use them differently, but we would love to hear about it mm-hmm. if you do. I uh, I love um, I do have a tendency to enjoy the um, 
the idea of creating a small creature, having a small creature that that's already in the lore, giving you some wiggle room to make it bigger, you know. So uh, you might remember my idea for uh, the um, uh, oh god, what are they called? Um, the little like illithid uh, rats where their intelligence is heightened, and the more they're around, oh, the cranium, cranium rats, rats, yeah, and the more they're around each other, the more intelligent they grow. Suddenly, your BBEG is a giant incredibly giant swarm of them or you might remember the roper idea that i had where it's literally like a a stalactite that that reaches this roof of an, an unbelievably large cavern and it's this impossibly monstrous ancient thing why not a grindy load that's bigger than the kraken you know <laughs> that's just survived that long and grown that large that could be really fun i love that 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 that's amazing when you tell me um, it can grow and it can grow larger and larger, I'm like, yes, let's do that. <laughs> right. Uh, but yeah, I think that's pretty much it for me. Do you have no, anything else? It. I think they're fun little minion fodder for sure. Have a little fun with them and uh, good luck with your underwater combat. <laughs> that's all I have to say. <laughs> I feel yeah. like never exploring it. <laughs> so tell us how it went. <laughs> if you want to check. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And if you want to check out some of those other episodes we mentioned, Cranium Rats was part of our Lithid Suite, episode 27, and Deep Scion was episode 80, um, as well as, again, Sea Hags was episode 7, one of our one of our early, early hits, mm-hmm. I think. And Pierces and Ropers was episode 64. Yeah. And the Algolfu so. Master we did with uh, the Roll for Intent GM Trevor on our episode 100 extravaganza. And that was a really fun up too. Yeah. When he went he went conspiracy crazy. It was awesome. <laughs> that was a real yeah, that's a really good episode. Episode one hundred is is fantastic. Uh, and if you like this, you can help us out. Maybe help us get uh, an underwater campaign started or start Starfinder 2. Um, you can find us over at patreon.com backslash Uncharted North. $5 a month will get you a handwritten thank you letter and a theme button. For $10 a month, you can suggest a creature. Uh, maybe you want to hear about the Sea Hag in 2E. That this is, that's a great place to do it. Or if there's um you know something adjacent to like that deep scion in either Pathfinder or any other system, we're open to covering creatures from any system out there. This is just Tui's currently our bread and butter. If you want to hear more D and D stuff, everything episode 100 and below is all 5e, so that's all still evergreen content. Uh, if you want to get some merch, maybe you like our Quiddy logo on my, my my cap here, or maybe you like the Uncharted compass on. Freeman's back. Freeman's background. <laughs> uh, you can find some cool merch at unchartednorth.com backslash shop. There's hats, t-shirts, coffee mugs, the usual stuff. It's all done by Teespring, I believe, and their merch is is, is decent. Um, I love this. Hat. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I wear it all the time. So. Uh, if you want to find us on any of the social media platforms, you can find all that stuff linked in the description below. Or if you're watching on YouTube, it's been scrolling by in the bottom right or bottom left, depending on which way you're looking at it. Uh, if you want to know how we built this show, you can go over to encounterthis.ca and you can find our show notes and our reading list. So the show notes are the exact document that we used to produce this show, minus the stat blocks, which will leave a link to Archive of Nethys, as well as any extra reading. Uh, we'll include China Mieville on that list with his uh, Pathfinder Chronicles Guide of the River Kingdom. And yeah, if you want to watch the video of this, see all the images, youtube.com backslash at EncounterPod. If you are listening to the audio version, please rate and review on your platform of choice. If you are on the YouTubes, uh, hit that bell, subscribe to be notified, all that, all that YouTuber 
stuff that I'm supposed yeah, to say. Some comments on uh, there but too. Most important to me. Respond to them. Yeah, we love yeah. to hear the stories. That's one of the easiest yeah. ways to do it. Exactly. Love those comments. And if uh, you want more of a direct access, you can always go to unchartednorth.com uh, slash discord, and that will jump you right into our discord server, which where you'll have direct access to us. And we can, we can chat, talk about your aquatic campaign, talk about any ideas you have to add to that giant grindy low, or uh, even we're around for advice too. If you want to know how we would run sea hags in 2e now, or what kind of creatures we would pair with them. We're always down to answer those kind of questions. We've got a great little community, especially in our Patreon. Yeah, I was going to say, our, uh, so yeah, big shout our, out our little to, Discord community has lots of lots of advice to offer, not not just the two of us. We have lots of people that we, we bounce ideas off of all the time. And they have lots of cool ideas like we don't think of. So we love listening to what they have to say after these yeah. episodes, <laughs> these release, you know. Yeah, and the corrections in there are always fantastic. We've got some people who are great with the rules. We've got some people who are great with the lore, and we've got some people who just drop dank yeah. memes or what they made for <laughs> dinner that night. And I'm I'm here for every bit of it. So, yeah, it's a good time. Yeah, but we're gonna pull the shoot for today, listeners, and we will be back in two weeks, and hopefully, I'll be healthy, and we will see you then. I'm really glad we're back on this schedule. It's nice to be doing this again. Always so. a pleasure. Thanks, friends. Yeah. Well, my outro. That's what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> Until next time, creatures. Thanks, as always, for listening to Encounter This. <laughs>